thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it has been, uh, it's been a while because uh, of the pandemic and um, we weren't able to hold those uh, conferences uh, for some time. So it's, it's, it's good to be back to, to Beza again and uh, spend time in the presence of God. I have been challenged with a, with a message myself, has been in my heart for a while. And that has been what I've been sharing for the last while, wherever the Lord opened the opportunity to speak. So I would like to bring you that, that message this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would like us to go to Matthew chapter 16, where we would be spending a little bit of time there. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 will be the focus where we will be reading together and spending some time together. But somehow the, the message, the title of the message that I have is the statement that Jesus made on Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. That's his statement. I will build my church. That's kind of the, the area where we're going. The, the, the topic that I will be addressing this morning is based on Jesus' statement that says, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. So, we'll just uh, begin by reading uh, verses 13 to 20, if you don't mind, to rise up again. And uh, we'll be reading together and start in prayer. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father God, we just thank you for your presence among us. I pray that you continue to speak to us. The scriptures that we read are not just ordinary words given by an ordinary person. This is not just a literature, Father. This is a word from you. It has the Spirit of God. It was inspired by the Spirit of God. This is the word that says, Thus says the Lord, Father. We submit to the authority of your word. So, Father, this morning, I want to be in your presence as I speak your words to your people. And I pray that you continue to, to use me, Father, that the Spirit of God may help me to utter what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. Father, I pray that you open the hearts of your people as we listen. May, you, may our ears and hearts be open to understand what, what the Spirit of God is saying. We want to align ourselves with the purposes of God. So, Father, help us, challenge us this morning. And I just commit myself and your people to your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I will build my church. And now, this morning I got a very nice word from, uh, from our brother from the video um, here. I don't know if you, if you come across video productions that, um, that lack synchronizing. Did he say synchronizing? They're not synchronized. Lacks integrity. Like you don't, you don't get the picture and the sound at the same time. I don't know if you, I, I don't know, I don't know if you have this. Like uh, maybe you are listening to a newscast or uh, watching to a video or even a sermon. Sometimes one of the challenging things is to bring the picture and the sound together, perfect. So you just see whatever is said and the action and the word comes together. Sometimes it doesn't happen. They don't synchronize together. It's, it's very ugly to watch. I don't know. I mean, you just lose every interest. Like. The guy is something, saying something else, while the voice is saying something else. It's not, it's not together. 
And sometimes, sometimes when you observe the people of God in the church these days, we seem to be missing some synchronizing with the Lord's voice. We just see that what, we, we seem to be lacking that, that alignment with the purpose of God. We seem to be a people that what God is actually speaking and saying, His purposes and His mission are coming in one way, and we are trying to do other things that are not in alignment with His purposes. Matthew chapter 16. The reason that I'm raising Matthew chapter 16 is Matthew chapter 16 is kind of a reconciler. It brings the purpose of God, the mission of God with the people of God. The, the mission of God with the people of God. It brings the, God's purposes for our lives, God's mission for our lives to be aligned together with the way we live and with the way we accomplish things. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16. It's a chapter whereby, it's a chapter where Jesus is actually going to the cross almost. In a few months, you'll be heading up to Jerusalem and going to, to the cross. On his way to the cross, one of the passages that just makes his purpose clear to his disciples, including ourselves, is Matthew 16. He just made it clear. Because more and more, there was this polarization of Jesus from the religious establishments of the time. You know, Jesus started his ministry among the synagogue, and there were times that he served in the temple, and he was among, among the religious establishment of the time. But more and more, especially in chapter 16, you see this, uh, this separation from the established Jewish religious institutions. He was just coming, a little bit distancing himself and, his, and the disciples, one of the passages in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, he started by saying, there was this uh, Pharisees and Sadducees that came to him and asked him to show them a sign again. Show us a sign that he's the Messiah. And he just spoke to them. This is, this is a characteristic of an, an, an adulterous generation, signs and wonders. So he came back to the disciples and he said, he said be very careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, you need to be separate from that yeast. Right? That's what he was saying in verse 12. Verse 12, they just understood that, first of all, they thought that he's talking about bread and jeramanamen. Because he, he mentioned yeast. There was a miscommunication between the disciples and Jesus. They thought, is he talking about injera? Is he talking about well, bread for some of you, but injera for me. But is he, is, he, is he talking about that? So they weren't sure. But Jesus said, he's not talking about bread here. He's talking about, verse 12, he's talking about the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The teachings of the religious establishments, they need to come out. They need to be very careful. So it starts like there is this separation of Jesus and the disciples from the religious establishments of the time. So they know where they are coming out from. They are coming out from the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the temple and Judaism. But where are they going? What's God's purpose? Where are they going to end up? I think Matthew 16 made it clear. You know, they, they not only know and understand where they are being called out from as the people of God, but they understand that where are we going now? What is God going to accomplish through Christ? That's where Matthew makes it very clear in chapter 16. He said, what are you going to do? Come out from the Pharisees and Sadducees. You need to be careful from the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You need to come out from that yeast to where? And Jesus said, well, I am going to build my own people, my church. What are you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to build my church. I will build my church. You are coming out, but soon I will build my church. What is Christ doing? Building his church. What is Christ doing? Building his own people. Extending his kingdom, building the church. Now, this is not just a one-time thing. A lot of people understand that I'll build my church is fulfilled in the book of Acts. No. I will build my church is a continuous operation that God has. What is God doing in the world today? What is the most important thing that Christ is accomplishing in the world today? Well, building his church. 
I mean, the news channels will not tell you. People are not talking about it. What is the greatest thing happening in heaven and on earth today? Jesus is extending his kingdom. He's working. He's building his church. All continually, he is building his... Of course, God is doing other things too. You know, he feeds the birds. You know, he gives us some clothing. He takes care of us. That's not the most important thing. If you are part of a royal family and your father is the king, his main work is governing the whole nation. But he somehow has a hobby of feeding birds. When somebody asks you, what is your father doing? You say, feeds birds? No, he's actually accomplishing a greater stuff, but he feeds birds. Of course, he takes care of us. He's running the world. He gives us clothes. He gives us food. He, do, he does all these kinds of things. But what is the greatest operation of heaven? What is the greatest operation of God that he's accomplishing? He is building his church. Christ is building his church. He's building his, the king is extending his kingdom. The king is extending his kingdom, building up his church. Is it a continuous stuff? Absolutely. Let me show you a couple of texts. Of course, I will build my church. Started to be fulfilled in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit came, came upon the disciples, the church is established. But since then, it has been accomplished. That's what he's doing. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is a marriage passage for couples. But somehow, the author of Ephesians wants us to understand Marriage from Christ himself. Christ and the church. Now look at verse 27. Husbands, husbands love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Now listen. What did Christ do for his church in the past? He gave himself for her. That is done. He is not continually giving himself to her on the cross. He died on the cross to sanctify a people. He died on the cross, gave himself to her in the past. Now, and then he says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might, now, listen to this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, that is a future. That is a future. What is Christ going to do with his church in the future, he will make sure that the bride will be with no spot or wrinkle. She will be a bride perfect, ready for the husband to come. He will have a church that is perfected with no wrinkle, with no spot, with no nothing. That is the future. So what did Christ do for his church in the past? He died for her. What is he going to do? He's going to present a church that is perfect, with no spot, with no wrinkle. Now, the question is, what is he doing in between? What is he doing in between for the church? Now listen, says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He says, he who loves his wife loves his, himself. And then he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, builds it. It's like he feeds the church, he builds the church. Now, what is he doing in between? He has given himself to the church. He will be preparing a bride that's perfect in the future to be presented for himself. What he's doing in between is he's feeding, he's building, he's cherishing, he's building up his church. So the building of the church is a continuous thing. Christ is continually building his church. Now, I know it doesn't make sense, especially this time. Is God at work in the church today? Is he building his church? Because it doesn't look like. The church has got lots of problems. And there are a number of people that have given up on the church. And I get surprised. If it was my church, you need to, be, you need to give up. It wasn't my church. It's not my church. The church belongs to Christ. He's doing it. He's building it. He's purifying it. He's beautifying it. He's building his church. Is there hope for the church? Absolutely. Why? Christ is building his church. Book of Revelation. We talked about this this morning. When you look at the seven churches, my goodness, lots of problems. Even in the early stage of the church, the church has got its own problems. Seven churches, 
A couple of them were okay. Many people think that they were perfect. They were okay as compared to the others. But horrible stuff going on in the church during those days. A lot of trouble, a lot of problems. The seven churches of Asia. If I ask you which, which church you would choose to, you will have a hard time. It's very difficult. I wouldn't be willing to pastor one of them. It's a very, there are serious problems, especially about five of them, six troubles. One okay kind of church. <laughs> now, when Jesus revealed himself to John, the picture he gave him is, is amazing. I think he wants John to understand. I have these seven churches, most of them in trouble. But before you speak to them, I want you to understand something. What? Chapter 1. The glorified Christ, Christ glorified, manifested himself in a revelation to John. And the first pictures that John saw was, there were seven lampstands. There were seven lampstands. And Jesus Christ glorified was walking among them. He was walking among them. And there were seven stars that he has hold on his right hand. So that's a picture he saw. Seven stars on his right hand, seven lampstands that he was walking around. What is the meaning? Well, chapter 1, verse 20. Before you go and speak a message to them, I want you to understand that as for the mystery of the seven stars, the seven stars that you have seen them on my right hand, he says, these are the seven angels of the church. These are seven angels of the church. Now, what, what does angel mean for the church? There are many interpretations, but I think it's talking about the leadership of the church. The bishops and pastors and elders that were leading those churches, he said, I mean, those leaders have lots of trouble, lots of problems, lots of weaknesses, but let me show you where they are. They are on my right hand. The leadership of the church on his right hand. In other words, the church has its own problems, leadership has its own problems, but that is the hope. The hope is the leadership, the angels are on his right hand, and what fascinates me at the same time is the seven golden lampstands that you have seen that I'm walking around says the seven golden lampstands and lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus, you are working among these bad churches? The hope of the church is that Christ is building his church. In other words, we're not a finished building. The church is not a finished building. It's not a completed building. What is Christ doing continually? He's continually building up his church. Even in times of trouble, even in times of lots of problems, Christ is walking among his church. Christ is working among his church. Christ is building his church. That's why it says, I will build my church. What is Christ doing? He is building his church through us. Through the living stones, through each one of us, what is Christ doing in heaven, on earth? The greatest agenda, the greatest divine agenda that God has is the building up of the people of God. The ecclesia, God's people being built up through us. I am building his church. So the question is, that's kind of the sound, that's kind of the... The voice coming from God. That's God's purpose. That's God's program. That's God's agenda. Building his church. Question is, are we synchronized with that, with that voice? Aligned with the purpose of God. God is building his church, but he's looking for people that align with that purpose. He's building his church, but he's calling us to build with him. God, the greatest thing that's happening in the spiritual realm is God building up his church so that he will present her to himself as a perfect bride. And our calling is to build with him. It's to build with him. That is chapter 16 of Matthew. Now, if you have your Bibles open, <laughs> Matthew 16 is not just, I will build my church. Matthew 16 is, I'm going to build it through you. I'm going to build it through you. In other words, God is extending his kingdom through us. God's mission is we build up his body. We build up the church. 
with him. He's building, but he's looking for people. And the emphasis this morning, I don't know, this afternoon, is what kind of people is God looking for? How do we align ourselves with the purpose of God? That is my message this morning for you. How do I align with God's program? How do I get synchronized with the picture? <laughs> How do I get synchronized with God's purposes? He's building his church. He's inviting me to build with him. What kind of people align themselves with the agenda of God? A couple of things that I want to highlight. Very clear in the passage. And then we can go into the details. <laughs> Jesus promise of building his church comes as kind of sandwiched between two things. He says, I will build my church. But between these two, he's building it through people. And I think he's looking for these two qualities that we'll be praying about. He spoke about the building of the church between what I call revelation and mission. These are the two things that I want to highlight. Revelation and mission. It will be very clear when we read it, when we read it but you've got to understand that God is building his church. Christ is building his church through his disciples that are people of continuous revelation and people that are focusing on their mission. That's it. People, he's looking for people that are continually, continually are people of revelation of Christ. The revelation of Christ is the foundation and people that live as missional people. That's what he's looking for. Let me show you from the text. The building, up, the building up of the church depends on these two things. God is looking for people that are consumed by a continuous revelation of Christ. Now, look at verse, look at verse 13, for example. Now, listen to me very carefully. Verse 13, Jesus and his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, we're having some private time in a city called Caesarea Philippi. They were together spending some time. It's a, it's a, it's a private consultation. It's not for everybody. It's for us. It's for the followers of Christ. It just seems to be like the king is somehow revealing his purposes for his own people, for the cabinet members. He's just saying, come over. Let's talk about my purpose in the future. And he says, this is what will happen. So they start to discuss. And then he starts from a question. Said, verse 13, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the son of man is? And they started to answer. From their knowledge. From their experience. From what they have heard. From their research. From what they have gathered, they said, well, some say it's John the Baptist. And the picture that I have, that I tried to portray this morning is, some say it's John, some say you are John the Baptist. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Okay. It's like, John the Baptist is a great man. He's a great star in the Old Testament. He's the last prophet of the Old Testament. He's an amazing star. Jesus himself have appreciated John the Baptist so much. So, some people are saying that you are John the Baptist. Okay? Go ahead. Um, some are saying Elijah. No, Elijah. <laughs> it's like he opens and closes the heavens like, like a playground. It's just like a, he brought fire down from heaven. He's an amazing prophet. It's like I would have stopped from Elijah. Okay, 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 okay. Let's talk about Elijah. He's not a great star, but keep going. Okay. Uh, well, some say Jeremiah. Jeremiah, great respected prophet of the Old Testament. Keep going. There's a passage that says, some say Ezekiel. Keep going. Good stars, but keep going. 
And then he said, he had to somehow interrupt the answer. And he says, who do, who do you say that I am? And then they moved from knowledge based on research, knowledge based on what they have gathered, to a personal, what Jesus called a revelation. They moved to a revelation. Jesus said, this is a revelation, actually. He was, he was amazed. Peter raised his hand, answered the question, and Jesus said, by the way, this is not your smart mind. That's a good, actually, that's a good humbling experience. Peter, this is not your smart mind. This is a revelation from the Heavenly Father. Revelation has come. This is revealed from the Father. What is revealed from the Father? He said, you, for us, you are the Christ. By the way, this coming from a staunchy Jewish Galilean, you are the Messiah. I mean, the Israel was expecting a Messiah. Everyone was looking for a Messiah, but in a different picture. This cannot be the Messiah in their understanding. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a son of a carpenter. He doesn't have a military operation going on. He doesn't look like. When you see him, he doesn't look like. Born in a manger, living with them, getting tired, eating with them. Like to call this, you are the Messiah, you need a revelation. I think that's what Peter had. He said, for us, for us, you are the Christ, the human Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus as a human. And then he said, that's an amazing revelation. He said, for us, you, you are the Son of God. <laughs> this is an amazing revelation. It's, it's both the humanity of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and the divine Jesus, the divine God, you are the son of God. And then it's not like, go ahead. It's not John the Baptist, go ahead. Elijah, go ahead. Jeremiah, go ahead. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Boom. This is the rock. This is the rock. I don't think it's Peter. This is the rock. And he said, on this rock, what rock? The revelation of Christ. On this rock, the revelation of Christ, the human God, the humanly divine God, Son of God, Jesus. On this revelation, on this foundation, on the revelation of Christ, on the revelation that has come to you, on the revelation you just uttered, on this revelation, on the fact of the manifestation of Christ, on the glory of Christ, on this rock, this is the rock for my church. On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. How does he do it? With people of revelation. He said, he came up to, Peter came, it's not just Peter, Peter came up with this amazing revelation of Christ. This revelation of Christ born that mission that I will build my church based on this manifestation of Christ. Chapter 17, if you go, is a transfiguration. It's, it's full of revelation. In other words, the church is built on the foundation of Christ, by the way. Huh, let me say a little bit about that. The foundation of the church that brought us together. Foundation is so critical. It brings the whole building together. And who knows that more than the visa community here that has seen a lot of foundation work going on. Foundation is so critical. It's the foundation that holds everything together. Our foundation is the revelation of Christ. What brought us together? Christ. Our experience of the revelation of Christ. Our foundation, the foundation of the church of Christ is a manifestation of Christ himself. It brought us together. It holds us together. The church is built as Christ as its foundation. You see, the church is not just a gathering of people. The church is not a gathering of people based on some common social values. No. It's not social values that brought us together. I mean, find me one single social value that will bring everybody together. We're divided on those. No, that's not bad. That's okay. It's bad, but it's not bad. It's not the foundation. It's about maybe the color of the building. I don't know. The church is not just a social club that people come together based on their interest or based on a social understanding stuff or this is not a social club. Our foundation is not our, our ethnic identity, our social identity, our national identity. It's not our 
It's not, the church is not a gathering of people of the same country men coming together. No. The church is not the same tribal ethnic people coming together. No. The church is people with a kind of a, a similar political views, political understanding, and a political view coming together. No. We're not a political gathering. We're not a social gathering. We are a gathering of a revolution. We're founded on the revelation of Christ. That's what brought us together. That is what brought us together. That's what brought us. We may be different on political views, different on social views, different on ethnic identity, different on languages, but we're still the same one body. Why? The foundation is the same. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Christ the Messiah. Christ the Son of God is the foundation of the church. Foundation of the church. It's people of revelation that build the church with Christ. People of revelation that understand Christ. You see, many people are not engaged and align themselves with the agenda, with the mission of God, because we still, I don't know, I'm not sure how many people in the church really know Christ. I mean, no, no. You know, some people say this, some people say that. We've got bunch of people like that. But do you really know Christ? Yeah. Do you really know Christ? The Son of God. Those are the people that he trusted with missions. Missions was some kind of a response of the trust based on the revelations that Peter had. You are the Christ, the Son of God. On this rock, I'll build my church. It's people of revelation that build the church. That's where I find Paul's prayer very relevant to the Ephesian Christians. I think we need to be a people of continuous revelation. I don't know about you, but I need that. You know, that's where I differentiate the spirit of God and the spirit of religion. Spirit of religion is like, uh, I got it. I got it. I don't know if you heard about this guy, this little boy asking his father, Dad, is God everywhere? And the father said, yeah, God is everywhere. Like, everywhere. And <laughs> the little boy started to minimize. Says, is God, uh, is God in our house? And the father said, yeah, God is in our house. And then minimize. Is God in this room? And that daddy was like, oh, God is everywhere. God is in this room. <laughs> and then the little boy brought this uh, little cup, a glass, and said, Daddy, is God in this glass? And the daddy was like, God is everywhere, so God is in this glass. And his response was, I got him. <laughs> Religion is like, I got him. Religion is like, ah, I know everything, I understand everything. I got him. A religious knowledge is like, I know him. He's one and three. He's human and divine. I got him. Religion makes you compare yourself with a friend around. It's like, remember that Pharisee praying in the temple? He says, I got him. I fast, I pray. Twice, twice a week, I got him. I pay the temple tax, send my tithes to the temple. I tithe, I pray. I'm not like this guy. That is not a life of revelation. A life of revelation does not say, am I, am I like this guy or am I not like this guy? It's about, am I like that guy? Christ Jesus. When Christ is revealed, am I like him? The revelation of Christ. So it's like, since the measure in Revelation, the measurement of Christ, there is always hunger. When the Holy Spirit reveals Christ for you, there is always hunger to know him. There is always thirst to know him. Religion makes you to be satisfied. The Spirit of God leads you into this spiritual hunger to know him more, to understand him more, to, for more revelation to come. It's people of revelation that have taken the world for Christ. It's people of revelation that have understood Christ, that build his church with him. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, that I mean this, I've thought about this for a while. These are Christians, predestined, filled by the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are, I got him. 
If you see them, it's like they seem to be, they got him. But Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you know him more. We know Christ more. Like in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, he desires to know him more. He actually forgets the past and he strives to know him more, to know Christ more. That is the spirit of God. We need to be continually a people of revelation that pray for a revelation of Christ, that know their God, that know Christ Jesus. It's only those kind of people that build the church. The church is built on the foundation of the revelation of Christ. What is God doing in the world today? Building his church. With us, what kind of people? Not people of religion, not people of I got him, not people of like I've understood everything. It's with people of that strive to know Christ more. Those are the people that God uses. Those are the people that align with the purposes of God, with the agenda of God, that they are synchronized with the agenda of God. People of revelation. Revelation. I build my church. The mission. This is a picture. I don't know if you can see my little fingers. Revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Oh, based on that, I'll build my church. And then follows. What follows? Mission follows. God is looking for people that live as sent out people. Sent with a mission. Sent with a purpose. Look at verse 18. <laughs> By the way, there are a number of people that are looking for some kind of special revelation in their lives. They desire. But unfortunately, more and more people these days, they are looking for revelation for some kind of entertainment. Revelation is not for entertainment. Revelation is for mission. That's what you see in the Bible. There are a number of people that I need a special manifestation of God. They don't even know what they're supposed to do after that. We just... We want this revelation and that revelation. And an angel was revealed for me and another thing was revealed. Like, that is not revelation. When Christ is revealed to you, you know how you know it? You will go. <laughs> like those people that have actually experienced God have gone. Like all of them. You go to the Old Testament, you look at Moses. He was given that amazing revelation of God on the mountain. For what purpose? So that he go down and brings his people, delivers them from the Egyptian slavery. Revelation is for going. Isaiah, show God and had to go. Ezekiel, show God and had to go. Revelation is for going for the purpose of God. It's not for entertainment. It's not to lift up people. It's not for our CVs. It's not for our greatness. It's about declaring the glory of God. It's about going and declaring the glory of Christ. Now, same in the New Testament. This revelation is manifested. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, I'll build my church. This is next. This is next. And I don't want to keep you here forever because I can talk about these things forever. Seriously. There are a number of phrases in this passage that are just, this passage is full of going. Full of mission. Let me just mention a few of them. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is his confidence. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is he talking about? What is the gates of hell? He's not talking about the army of hell. He's talking about the gates of hell. Gate. Burn. What is he talking about? You probably understand. You probably know it. This is a war language. It's the language of a battle. You know, in ancient cities were very much fortified cities. They've got walls around them. You will probably rarely find few, but most of the cities and towns were fortified cities. They have walls around them and there are gates to protect them. So whenever there is a conflict between, say, two cities, they don't have the battle inside the cities because it's not, would be damaging for the children, other people, the cattle and everything. So both the armies would come outside. There is a battlefield. <laughs> That's why there is a battle 
field. It's on the field, outside. So they fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. You know, when there is a decisive victory, do you know when a decisive victory happens? The defeated enemy would instantly run to, his, to their cities. They go to the cities, their fortified city, close the gates, that's it. This is the language. The enemy is saying, I am defeated, thank you very much. It's like, done. Doors closed. Now, if you don't have any purpose, you leave them alone. But if you have a purpose, if there are captives to be free, if there are things to be released, one of, the, one of the signs of a victorious army is they go to the gates. It's not like they don't wait for the gates to come. Gates don't come. We go to the gates. When they go to the gates, the challenge is the gates are strong gates. It's, it's very difficult. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying the battle is, or I don't know how many Christians know that the decisive battle is done 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Jesus on the cross has done the battle and he has overcome. He has overcome. He has overcome the enemy. He has overcome the devil. And a lot of people think that the decisive battle is going between the devil and the church today. No, it's not. It is done on the cross. He has taken all their authority. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, said, all authority is given to him. All authority belongs to Christ. He has won the battle. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated the devil. What did the enemy do? He went into his territory, have captives inside, closed the gates. Now, if we are a kind of people that say, we're okay with it, the enemy loves it. If we say, don't come to the church territory in Jesus' name. We don't come to your territory. Don't come to the church walls. We're not coming. That's not the church of Christ. The church of Christ that Jesus actually have confidence is, I will build my church. You know how you know it? When I build my church, my church will go to the gates. My church will go to the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's, that's the language here. The church will go to the gates because there are captives. I don't know if you know that there is hell. Dr. Beto was reminding us this morning. There is hell and people are going to hell. People are captives of the enemy. Jesus is building his church with whom? With his church, with his people, with us. What kind of people? People that are determined to go to the gates of hell so that people will be coming out from the gates of hell and come to the kingdom of Christ. A going church. A church of revelation, but also a going church going into the gates of hell to bring captives free for the glory of Christ. Going. Another going language that Jesus spoke for Peter. I don't think it's just for Peter. For everybody. I see it with everybody in the book of Acts. I see it with everybody in the book of Acts. Not just Peter. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you the, king, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's primarily the authority of Christ. Christ has the keys of the kingdom, Isaiah 22, 22, that was the promise for Christ is on, uh, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, none shall shut. He shall shut, none shall open. But he says, that authority, Peter, and the disciples, I'm going to give it to you. What are these keys? What are these keys? Uh, there are a variety of ways that people try to understand these keys. I think, at least in the context of Matthew 16, Matthew 16 is missional. Matthew 16 in the case is not about going and unlocking every kind of closed door with the keys of the kingdom. I don't think so. I don't think so. A lot of people think that these are keys. You want finances? Open with the keys of the kingdom. You want success? Open with the keys of the kingdom. Marriage? Open with the keys of the kingdom. Ah, it's very small. Very tiny. Open it, but that's not the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom is to open the gates for people to come out of the gates of hell. To come into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the principle might work, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a church that will go with the keys of the kingdom and open the gates for people to come out. 
That's what the disciples did. That's what, what Peter did in Acts chapter 2. You go, every believer that goes around, went around with the keys of the kingdom to release prisoners, to release captives from the kingdom of hell to the kingdom of God. How do I know? How do I know it's about shutting and closing the doors of the kingdom? Well, I'll read it for you. But you go to Matthew chapter 23. People can shut the doors of the kingdom. The way we live, the way we understand, can't, I mean, Jesus said on the scribes and Pharisees, verse 13 of chapter 23, he says, but wow to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor shall allow others to enter. So what are the keys? The keys are opening the doors for people to enter. <laughs> opening the doors for people to enter. I go and share the gospel to a person. I'm opening the keys for a person to enter. I send a Bible to somebody. He reads it or she reads it. I'm opening the gates for a person to enter into the kingdom of it. The kingdom authority that he has given for the church is to allow for people to come into the kingdom of God, to come into eternal life. These are keys of eternal life that people would be coming to the kingdom. When we open the gates, they come. So Jesus is looking for people that are missionaries that will go and open the gates for captives to be free. Another language, and then I'll just conclude. Another language that Jesus used is the binding and losing. Sorry, but I understand it in the same context. Binding and losing says whatever you bind on earth remain to be bound in heaven. Whatever you, whoever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven, will be free in heaven. Now, this is a common language, so you find it in a different context as well. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, you find this in the context of forgiveness. You lose and bound. That's, it's, it's a different context. So it can happen. There are multiple meanings of this, this Ababal. There are multiple meanings of this saying in multiple settings. But the setting here is, the setting here is, somehow we have to think as people that have got a role in the eternal destiny of humanity. In the eternal destiny of human beings. In other words, when you leave people bound, by the way, every body outside Christ is bound. You may not understand, oh, but he's a nice person, a nice person bound. But he's very much educated, educated person bound. The world without Christ is under bondage. So what is the authority that Christ gave? Christ gave the church for us to go and somehow lose that bondage, lose that time. If we keep people to remain with their bondage, they are, they remain to be bound in heaven. In other words, whoever you bind remains bound. I think that's a language. I think that's a language. But whoever you go and loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I mean, we are connected. We are connected to the eternal destiny of people? I mean, you can theologize on it like uh, whoever God wants to save, he will save. I believe in that too. But wow for us. He would bring people into his kingdom. But the authority that we're given is you are somehow, <laughs> you are somehow connected to the eternal destiny of people. In other words, I share the gospel to a person. I'm not just bringing him or her to church. I'm not making them change their religion. <laughs> when I share... When I lose people, they are lost forever in heaven. Eternally, forever. What kind of authority that Jesus has placed upon us is unbelievable. Whatever you do with them here happens in heaven. Now, let me read for you a last passage maybe. But Paul actually got shocked when he thought about it. So if it doesn't shock you, maybe you don't understand it. Paul at one point was shocked to think about this. He says, who is sufficient for such a task? When he thinks the task, he's just like, who is sufficient? Second Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 to 16 says, 
For we, he says, for we are the aroma of Christ. Unbelievable responsibility. We are the aroma. It's like, a, I don't want to remind you because it's past lunchtime. What I love, I don't know about you, but uh, you can pray for me. But uh, number one, I love coffee. Number two, I don't just drink coffee. I drink, I love drinking the aroma. I mean, when the aroma, I mean, that's the beauty of living in Ethiopia is you get that coffee roasted and it just fills the house. The beautiful aroma of coffee. And Paul says, Paul says, we are not the aroma of coffee, but we are the, ar hopefully, we are the aroma of Christ filling up the earth. I mean, that is unbelievable. God brought us from death and then we become the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. Aroma. What does aroma mean? Wherever I go, you cannot avoid aroma, by the way. You may get angry at the aroma, but it's still there. You may like, I don't like this aroma. It's still there. You cannot put it in prison. You cannot shut it down. You cannot argue with it. It's there. I don't like the smell of coffee. Well, the house is full of smell of coffee. Where is it? It's everywhere. I mean, I just pray for the church to be like this. You cannot avoid wherever you go. Marketplaces, workplaces, education centers, university campuses. Wherever we go, we become the aroma of Christ. They become the aroma of Christ. He says, we are the aroma of Christ. And then he thinks about being an aroma of Christ with the eternal destiny of people. He says this, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What? Among those that are being saved and among those that are perishing. He says, to one, to the ones that are perishing, we are the fragrance where the fragrance from death to death. I mean, a person was, he was dead anyways, but he was, he's going to an eternal death. For the ones that are perishing, we are the, the aroma of death from death to death. And then he says, to the other, for those that are being saved, we are the aroma from life to life. What does that mean? We are the aroma of Christ. So for some, they somehow sniff the aroma. I don't like it. And the consequence is eternal. Consequence is eternal. I don't like this smell. I don't like Christ. I don't like the gospel. Can you imagine? The consequence is not like... It just it goes beyond the earth. They say they reject the aroma. They are eternally condemned. And there are those that sniff the aroma. I love that. I love that. I want to come to that aroma. I want to come to the source. They come, they are eternally transformed. In other words, the result of the aroma is eternal destinies. And Paul is like, oh my goodness. Who is sufficient for such a work, for such a task? The answer is, he talks about grace. The grace of God will enable us to be, to be sufficient. for. We're not sufficient by ourselves, but God is sufficient to, to accomplish that mission. But the, the message here is, we have, in other words, binding and losing is like our role in society. As we become missional people, live among people, share the gospel. The result of the sharing of the gospel, the result of being missional is an eternal consequence on people's lives. It's a huge responsibility. In other words, Christ is, Christ is building his church. He's building it together with us. He buildings, not together with us necessarily, through us he builds the church. Through his people he builds the church. What kind of people? People that are going. People that are losing. People that are opening the keys. People that are going into the gates of here. People that are missional. People that live as missional people. Sent people. People that are sent. I don't know about you. We are from different backgrounds. But uh, the times that we grew up in Ethiopia, way back during the Stone Age, was uh, communication was very difficult. Neighbors don't communicate easily. Now it's easy. You send a text message or phone call or whatever. Those days, no text message, no phone, no nothing. We, the little children, were the text message. 
We, the little children, were the phone call. We would be sent everywhere. Like our parents would say, uh, now you need to go to that house and tell mama somebody to come and have coffee. So you go. And you tell. You don't just say, come for coffee. It's just, there is a text message. We go and we say, come for coffee. And then you come back and say, now you go to this place and do this. And we go. We come back and they say, now it's like, we were running everywhere. Remember those days? <laughs> There were times, there were times that our parents will send us with a serious mission. They say, now oh, you need to go to this place and bring this for me. It's very critical. We sometimes would be going, but somehow there were days, those bad days, that we meet with some of our good friends on the field playing soccer or doing something. So we just, we just get distracted. We forget that we are sent and we play games here. We've been running around, playing soccer, doing that and this and shouting. And then if you are lucky, somebody would remind you. Somebody would say, aren't you sent? Oh my goodness. And you run away. But many times when the evening comes, Nighttime, how do you go back and see the face of your mom? It's like it's so difficult. When I see the church these days, we seem to be forgetting that we are sent. We are sent people for a very critical mission that we are sent people. We're playing around games. We're playing around. Is God, is Christ building his church? Yes. But through missional people that are ready to go all the time, sharing the gospel all the time. They are, they are people that walk out with the responsibility of sharing the gospel to people because it has its own eternal values. What is God doing? Building his church through us. What kind of people is he looking? People that continually know their savior. People that continually come into a revelation with Christ. People that come to know Christ beyond the religious boundaries. People that come into a fresh, a fresh encounter with Christ. Like Paul, they know Christ. It's founded on the foundation of the revelation of Christ. But people that live as missional people responsible to share the gospel to people. Now, before we go. You know it. I don't think you need any illustration. Life, my friend, is very short. <laughs> Life is short. We don't know when we are called out. We have given a limited time period on this earth. <laughs> I, was, I was teaching about this in Kampala last week. Uh, yeah, in, in, uh, in Abesha Church, of course. I was talking about life is short. You know, we need to do the mission of God. And there was some shukshukta. Uh, there were some messengers that came and talking to a few group of ladies. And those group of ladies came out. And then I didn't know. I just continued with my life is short message. And then the story is they were called out because somebody, a young woman actually just died because she got stumbled on the stairs. She fell down and she just died instantly. So it was like, oh my goodness, yeah, life is short. I don't think you need that kind of illustration today. Life is so short. We're given life today for the mission of building his church together with Christ. Where are you investing your life? Where are you investing your money? Where are you investing your resources? Where do you want to pour out your life? Pour it out on things of eternal value. The eternal reality, by the way, eternal reality is Christ and his kingdom. That's it. Nothing is eternal. Nothing is realistic. It's the only eternal reality is Christ and his kingdom. May we be people that devote themselves for the eternal mission of God, align ourselves with the purpose of God to build up his church because that's the ultimate reality that we have. Somehow, we need to come out from our distractions. I mean, this, this time, I mean, this, this is a very interesting time, full of distractions. We are distracted on this side, and then tomorrow we are distracted on the other side. On Wednesday, we are distracted to these political views. On the other side, we are distracted to this entertainment that's coming. We're distracted. We keep to be distracted because we are ready to be distracted. And then on Sunday, we think of church. Oh, okay. That is not kingdom people. Kingdom people are single-minded people. They are single-minded. They're not distracted. The only eternal value is the eternal kingdom of God. I'm there to build the kingdom with Christ. That's my mission. That's my purpose. That's what I live for. That's our business. That's our business. 
Funny. There was a time that the disciples were distracted at some point. They were thinking about Israel, political Israel. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God for 40 days after the resurrection. For 40 days, he was talking about the kingdom of God. And they were concerned about, how about Israel? How about Israel? Are you going to return the empire to Israel? Is this the time? Because they were suffering from different empires. The Babylonians, the Middle Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. They were thinking like, this, is a, this guy came, he rose from the dead. He must be a Messiah. There must be some kind of a, a restoration of Israel. So are you going to return the kingdom? Jesus said, he said, this is none of your business. Giving the kingdom to whoever wants, that's a, that's a business of the Father. You have one business. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, till the ends of the earth. That is our business. That is our business. So I'm just, I'm just here to call you, my friend. This is the mission of God. God is calling us as a church to align ourselves with this serious mission. Nothing is as serious as this. Nothing is as serious as building up the kingdom with him. Building up the church with him. <laughs> what is Christ doing? Building up his church. Looking for people. What kind of people? People of revelation. Continually. What kind of people? People that live as send out people. They build the kingdom. They build the church with him. What a, what a privilege to build with him. What a privilege. I'm just here to invite you to just give our hands to him. What an honor. I thought of my father this morning when I was preaching. My father was a builder. I don't know if I told you. I've talked about it a million times. My father was a builder. He used to build houses. Not like huge ones, but you know, those houses. I was a carpenter, a builder. That's how he lived. So he used to be proud when we go as children. He used to be proud to show us, to show us to people, but to show us the work too. He was somehow hoping that some of us may end up with his profession. None of us did, but he was trying. I was the least. I wasn't interested in anything he was doing, but sometimes I would go as a tiny little boy. He would be very proud. He would say, he would introduce me to everybody around. This is my son. And we would go, and then he would show me how to put that nail into that that wood, you will have this huge nail and you say, now oh, your job is to put it in there. I say, okay. Gives me the hammer. <laughs> My arm is tinier than the hammer sometimes. It was just, it was very small that tiny hands holding that hammer to put the nail inside and I'll just boom, 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 boom and God so proud. He did it, man. Keep coming. He did it. It was way after that that I actually understood that as I was holding the hammer, his hands was actually upon my hand. He was actually my, he was holding my hand with the hammer, putting the nail in. I thought I was doing it. Actually, it was his hand doing it, holding my hand. So my job is actually to give my hand. This is what Christ is asking us. He's building his church. He's building his, his church. He's building his church, but it's just... Would you give your hand? Would you give your hand? Would you give your resources? Would you give your life for this eternal purpose? God is building his church. He's the one building, his, building it, but he's looking for people that continually are challenged by the revelation of Christ and give their hands to him and he will be building his, his church. That's the only eternal reality. Let's finish up in prayer. Thank you for rising up. If, if God has spoken to you, I, I just would like to pray for the church in general, but for us here. I mean, there are a number of distractions, my friends, these days that are distracting Christians. Like we are so vibrant on too many things. We're so vibrant, vibrantly arguing on too many little things. While God is trusting us for a huge responsibility of building up his church. Would you just raise your hands as a sign and say, these are my hands, Father.
These are my hands. I want them to be of eternal value. I want to build with you. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you that you have brought us to such a grand purpose, such, such, such a big purpose, such an eternal purpose of building up your church. What is happening in the world today is not the things that we see around. What is happening in the world today is Christ glorified, is building up your church. Father, may we be a people that build up with you. May we come into an encounter of Christ, a fresh encounter of Christ, and come and live as people that are sent to build up the church of Christ together with you. We want to live for you. We want to accomplish your purposes. We want to be in line with the purpose of God, to be synchronized with the purpose of God, and live with the agenda of God. May you help us as a Beza community. May you help us as a church in general in Ethiopia, around the world, to be so missional with the eternal purpose of bringing people out of the gates of hell into the kingdom of God. Our Father, we just thank you for trusting us for such a grand purpose. Trusting little people like us for such a kingdom purpose. May you continue to continually give us grace to accomplish this purpose. We want to be a people that accomplish your purposes and by the end of the day, we want to hear that voice of you faithful servant. We want to be those people that build with you and see your smile eternally. Father, may you help each and every one of us wake us up from Father, the, the summers, the, the slumber that we are in. Wake us up to align ourselves with the agenda of God. Tomorrow, as Monday comes, as the days go by, every place that we go, may we function as the aroma of Christ to extend your kingdom and live for the eternal purpose of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.